ladies and gentlemen, and this is an unreal world indeed. Today is October 9th, 2023 is the current year. This is stage one, episode 29, At War. You know, uh, you look around, you, you can't help but notice, right? You know, nothing brings America together like its devotion to Israel, or at least that's the impression that one gets when watching television, you know? American media finds much to disagree about generally. How many genders are there? Eh, you know, the liberals, they tell us it is an infinite variety. Conservatives, being decidedly more moderate, are generally skeptical of greater than six. And of course, they, you know, still insist that one fill out the proper forms before entering spaces reserved for the opposite sex. Should America have borders? You know, the liberals, they say no. Conservatives, they say kinda, you know. Is America a racist country? The liberals, they say yes. And conservatives say it's complicated. So, you know, there's plenty of vigorous debate on these subjects. The country's totally divided. But when Israel is under threat, ladies and gentlemen, we are all Americans united under that banner. What defines us as Americans more than any other factor, perhaps? More than ethnicity, more than language or culture or territory or even our much-worshipped diversity is our undying devotion to a foreign ethnostate spun out of whole cloth less than a century ago. These borders, unlike ours, are holy and inviolable. Hundreds of thousands of Americans died bravely fighting the most evil force in history, you know, the Nazis, to rescue God's chosen people and deliver them to the promised land. For this we are blessed by God and endowed with the right and obligation to rule the earth by force until Jesus returns and every tongue is made to confess. This compulsory state religion skirts the First Amendment's Establishment Clause by parading as objective fact. It is not doctrine, it's history, you see. To disagree is to confess one's guilt, to renounce one's citizenship and one's humanity. And yet some still do, anti-Semites mostly, though not all of them confess their thought crime. Not immediately, anyway. Some might actually believe they are innocent of the sin of anti-Semitism. They say they are merely criticizing a foreign right-wing government, but eventually they are made to know that criticizing Israel is, by definition, anti-Semitic. And once they know this, they accept that they are, in fact, anti-Semites. This, as you might expect, has the effect of breeding much anti-Semitism. Here at Surreal Politics, ladies and gentlemen, fine members of the agenda binary, we are, officially anyway, agnostic on that subject, value-free as it were, in the vein of the best economists, calling balls and strikes. Seems to us reasonable that the Jews would prefer there to be less anti-Semitism and that non-Jews would have substantially more diverse opinions on that subject. Though it is not at all certain that this is the case, and we think this one can objectively call peculiar. As Israel announced yesterday that it was at war, one informed as to the nature of media and online propaganda might be less than surprised to see that all systems were a go. The television instantly was converted from a device of questionable utility into one more soldier of the IDF, entirely unambiguous in its reason for existing. Every Twitter or X trend pertained to the subject. Short, grainy videos with zero explanatory power went viral along with wild descriptions providing alleged context unsupported by the image and sound. And notably, a trend not too often seen. The name Nick Fuentes. For those unfamiliar, Nick Fuentes is a Mexican child who purports to be the, quote, main leader of the dissident right for the last five years or so. And that's no arbitrary number. Mr. Fuentes tracks his supposed leadership back to shortly after the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, when the honor was bestowed upon him by what was then thought to be the most popular neo-Nazi website on earth, 
Now widely understood to be a subversive element, the Daily Stormer was largely the creation of two men. Andrew Anglin, previously a detached conspiracy blogger without much notoriety, and Andrew Allen Escher Ornheimer, a.k.a. Weave, a Jewish computer hacker who fled the United States for Ukraine after being released from prison on computer hacking charges. The site's popularity was largely a fabrication of Weave's making. He was manipulating Alexa ranks, a now defunct but then widely used metric for estimating the, website, the popularity of a website, to make the site seem more relevant. The site used this perceived popularity to drive American journalists insane and to aid them in their mission to smear Donald Trump as the second coming of Adolf Hitler. When Jewish lesbian lawfare crook Roberta Kaplan sued attendees and organizers for the events of August of 2017, though the Daily Stormer and Andrew Anglin were sued, Ornheimer was not. He was mentioned in the filings as the, quote, CTO of Daily Stormer, and his writings were used as evidence, but the plaintiffs tried mightily to prevent him from being mentioned in the litigation and were thwarted in this only by yours truly. None of the so-called defense lawyers even tried. Fuentes is a non-entity in the events of recent days, but his suspect origins and conspicuous placement in the Twitter trends yesterday illustrate a broader point worth calling attention to in the moment. The leftist mentality is not fundamentally victim-oriented. They play on victimhood narratives to take advantage of decent people who care about harm coming to the innocent. Good people tend to be averse to violence as a general matter. To overcome this aversion requires very substantial justification, clear targets, and clear objectives. When malicious actors want to use violence, if they want to do so with support of the public, they need to create these things in the minds of the populace in order to obtain their support or at least mitigate opposition. So when the Israeli state decides that they want to go in and start exterminating the people that they see as obstructing their expansionist project known as Greater Israel— they cannot simply announce that the time has come to bulldoze the huts and slaughter the cattle. They must be acting on a very severe provocation, and in this they are fortunate that provocation of varying degrees had ever long off, having made enemies of so many people over the centuries prior to the existence of their now wholly and unidirectionally inviolable borders. Tablet.com describes itself as a Jewish magazine about the world and has a piece there today titled Israel's Intelligence Failure by Edward N. Lutwak. A nearby piece by the same author is titled, My Meeting with George Soros. At just 438 words, uh, Lutwak's piece on the in Israeli intelligence failure is far from substantial, and this is in itself revealing. There is simply the assertion that the failure occurred and the speculation that reliable informants had not been told of the attack because surely those informants would have given the signal had they actually known. But if the informants are so reliable that their loyalty will not be called into question by Tablet Magazine, such good servants of the state of Israel that Jewish writers would sooner blame their own spies than the killers and criminals those spies had recruited, then how is it conceivable that the largest attack yet escaped their attention? One does not plan a larger attack than usual by reducing the number of co-conspirators. It actually works in the exact opposite way. There is no report of the informants being killed or disappeared. All the news channels, as the story broke, were baffled that the Israeli intelligence agency, the Mossad, did not see the attack coming. It was considered impossible that such a large-scale attack could take place without the Israeli spies having some advanced warning. This impossibility was nonetheless accepted. 
since the attack did in fact take place, we are told. And if the intelligence agency had known about it, then something would surely have been done to prevent it. But is that so certainly true? At my last check, before showtime, roughly 900 people are said to have died in the attack. Various politicians and media types have tried to show off their math skills by comparing this to the Holocaust or 9-11, conspicuous themes of all war propagandists. The president of Israel claims that not since the Holocaust have so many Jews been killed in one day, and anybody who is wise to the ways of the world has learned to be suspicious of anyone who invokes the Holocaust for anything, since it is so universally applied to prevent any rational debate on any subject at issue. A story by Reed Alexander at Business Insider is titled, This is Israel's 9-11. Why Israelis say Hamas's unprecedented assault will change their country forever. Mr. Alexander does not explore the likelihood that, this, the, that the way this will change Israel is by expanding its borders. Ask yourself this. Would the state of Israel forfeit the lives of 900 of its citizens if that meant expanding its borders? Well, yes, there's actually not a very serious dispute to be had about this. They would absolutely do that. And moreover, there's ample cause to question whether these body counts are accurate. On Twitter, Ben Shapiro posted, quote, Force yourself to look at the videos of what Hamas did over the weekend. Look! In all caps, L-O-O-K. This is what moral equivalence brings. Rape of women, kidnapping of children, murder of hundreds of innocents, including full families. Now, by all means, dear listener, do have a look at the videos. I have linked them in the show notes for today. And again, that's uh, stage one, episode 29. There is ample evidence that many rockets were fired. It's reasonable to believe that people were killed by those rockets. There is evidence that Palestinians came across the border and shot people. But of the videos presently in circulation, not one shows a rape. Not one shows the kidnapping of children. Not one shows the murder of hundreds of innocents, much less of full families. One video shows a bunch of young people dancing at a rave party in the middle of the afternoon, presumably high on drugs, as specks in the sky are said to be Hamas paragliders. The video ends before anybody notices the specks in the sky and the dancing presumably continues. A separate video shows people running with sounds of gunfire in the background, but not one person being shot. Another video shows a man on a motorcycle and another man trying to get an Asian woman on the back of that motorcycle while she screams and motions toward yet another man who is being held captive by still other men. The the man held captive is not struggling in the video. None of the kidnappers have guns nor gliders. One attempts to imagine the ride back to Palestine as this supposed hostage who fears being raped to death by the Islamic terror army is clinging for dear life to her kidnapper from the back of the motorcycle. She is shown in a later video drinking water while sitting on a couch and said to be held hostage. Based on images like this, conservative commentator Laura Loomer, best known for her Democrats are the real Nazis shtick, quoted the Israeli defense minister's announcement that Gaza would be destroyed with the hashtag GLASSIT. She followed up to say, quote, The people in Gaza were given plenty of time to evacuate. Israel is going to burn it to the ground today, and it will be uninhabitable, which is the way it should be. 
Watch today for jihadist sympathizers online who cry about human rights violations and genocide, both of those phrases being in scare quotes. Those terrorist enablers, those people think Hamas has the right to murder Jews and that Israel doesn't have a right to wipe out Hamas and their supporters. All of the Islamic neighboring nations care about the people of Gaza so much that they can open up their borders and take them in. But not even the neighboring Islamic nations want those people. That's the elephant in the room, right? Nobody wants them because they behave like barbaric wild animals and they're very violent people who teach their kids to murder Jews. Today will be a great day for justice. Approximately 2.1 million people live in Gaza and according to this highly respected Jewish conservative... This should be reduced to a translucent flat nothingness by the most sophisticated weapons available based on Grady 30-second videos of kids dancing in the afternoon. And anybody who thinks that that might be worth questioning the wisdom of is a terrorist sympathizer who needs to be monitored by the counterterrorism authorities, which you might recall recently she was saying shouldn't exist. And so that's sort of the the situation that we're met with over there, ladies and gentlemen. And do not mistake what I'm saying here as any type of support for the for the for the savages over there. I really don't have any. Um, I don't care about the Palestinians. I don't think that they're our friends. I don't buy into this whole nav- noble savage bit that is so popular among some circles. Um, I wrote something about this, but I don't want to quote it verbatim because. There's profanity involved, you know, but let me pull this up here. Truth be told, I have no sympathy for the Palestinians. They are not my problem. I do not want them as neighbors. I doubt they are the noble savages so many anti-Semites make them out to be. I don't care if it's their land and I don't care who takes it from them. Give it back to the Brits for all I care once you get the Muslims out of Britain. But how many times have Jews used Muslims against Christians and Europeans? I actually don't know the number, but I know it's not zero or one. If uh, the Israeli government wants to run around the world blowing people's brains out, exploding things, subverting elections, bribing and blackmailing politicians, siphoning off resources through financial chicanery and, you know, all the other influence that those folks have around the world, uh, you know, generally making life miserable for anyone stupid enough to deal with them, then, you know, even as I question the wisdom of, you know, sort of smashing that place and sending its inhabitants elsewhere. I have trouble summoning a great deal of sympathy for what's going on there, you know. But of course, this drives people crazy because they're like, well, which side are you on? What are you talking about? Like, why would I be, why would I be, you know, I, you know, I understand that some people might have a preference there and I'm not, you know, you know, I don't, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, and I'll tell you what, it's not that I actually don't have one. It's just that I get so annoyed and I have for so long, like in, in, in the dissonant right, as it's come to be known, you know, people forgot Robert Conquest's second rule of politics. Okay. And that is any organization that is not explicitly right-wing will eventually become left-wing. And if you don't, if you don't understand that, then you, you're never going to understand what happened to the alt-right and you're never going to get anywhere in politics. The alt-right called itself right-wing. And so you think that like, okay, you know, this is a, you know, it's a right-wing organization and therefore it's not going to turn left-wing, but it, it, it actually wasn't. 
You know, it was an ethnocentric movement that 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 allowed itself to become largely devoid of an ideological basis is honestly what happened. And I won't attribute it entirely to economics, but economics played a large role in that. You know, there was sort of there was a consensus that within the alt right that if you don't deal with immigration, if you don't deal with the ethnic component of these problems, then you're not going to be able to have a conversation about marginal tax rates. You're, you, you know, you're not going to be able to have a conversation about really anything because everything that you care about is going to be destroyed. And reasonable people went along with that. Okay, but there was a tendency within that movement, as all of these things do. The movement did not ostracize left wingers so long as they purported to be, you know, devoted to the survival of the race or whatever. And so since they didn't ostracize left-wingers, they had left-wingers in the movement. And of course, you know, the, the, the economic ceasefire, it was unidirectional in nature, okay? So if you had co- coherent economic views, you kept your mouth shut because you're like, all right, I'm not going to go fight with the socialists right now because, you know, there's more important things on the table. But socialists, they're left-wingers. And like left-wingers in the Democrat Party they never stop. They don't they don't they don't forego opportunities to take what they want, right? And so these ideas prevailed. And we see this, you know, most notably, though not though not exclusively, in it, it comes out in the platform of the National Justice Party that you're gonna have socialized medicine. That you're gonna take you're gonna take healthcare away from for profit entities because, you know, profit is evil, you know, once you let these people get in control of your, you know, central nervous system. And so, because of that, you have this worship of the noble savage. And this comes from the fact that these people, it's not, it's not that they're, it's not that the Hamas killers are fighting the Jews, okay? Because, you know, there's a wide range of opinions on the merits of doing that. It's actually not what they're so happy about. It's that, it's that the people who have nothing are attacking the people who have something. You see what I'm saying? And that's actually not a good pathology to be encouraging in a political movement that calls it that purports to be like right wing. You know, if you're a communist, that makes perfect sense. You know, you saw these DSA lunatics there out in the street, right? They're like, oh, yeah, you know, we're all we're all out for Palestine. And they get up, you know, they get together with these other fanatics. And uh, and and they're and they're all in the street like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we you know, go take down Israel. We're all for Palestine. What is that about? Is that because they're a bunch of anti-Semites? Well, they'd certainly deny that they are right. They wouldn't admit to being anti-Semites. Those people who are out in the street cheering on the Palestinians. That's not why they're doing that. They love the noble savage, right? They they love the de-civilization of the of the of the society of the world. And they're like, you know what would be great if the world was a lot more like Palestine, you know? You know what would be wonderful if we were all a bunch of murdering savage animals who kill our neighbors, right? Because it's not, you know, the thing is, you uh, there are anti-Semites, well-meaning anti-Semites, I might add, who are like, okay, the, uh, the state of Israel is a problem for, you know, any number of variety of reasons, which we've discussed elsewhere at, you know, some length. And okay, you know, there's, you know, shall we say varying degrees of merit to these complaints. 
sometimes in those circles, you you know, you see what emerges that is could be accurately categorized as jealousy, but that's not largely what it is, right? Through control over media, they perpetuate this kind of thing or this, you know, this pathology, this detrimental system, whatever. Other people are like, oh, well, you know, they control the things. They have the money. They have this. And, you know, simply on that basis, they need to be dispossessed because that's their attitude towards, you know, property and wealth is that these things are you know, inherently wicked. And they want to do the same thing to the capitalist class fundamentally. And they, you know, they rail against capitalism in various capacities and their their anti-Semitism is just another component of that, right? Well, that's what happens when you forget Robert Conquest's second rule of politics. And then and then you and then you accomplish nothing. Unless you want to like accomplish left wing things. Like if you want to accomplish left wing things you definitely don't want to consider Robert Conquest's second rule of politics because that'll, like, prevent the left-wing things from getting accomplished, you follow? And so there's a lot of that going on, I think it's safe to say. And I don't think it's wise to worship the noble savage because it's a stupid myth, right? I mean, the whole entire, you know, the whole entire point of being right-wing is to impose order, ladies and gentlemen. Those people over there, if, if the Jews were not their neighbors, they'd be killing whoever their neighbors were. And you have enough evidence of that in other Muslim countries, right? You know, it's not, it's, it's, you blame Israel for destabilizing the region. Okay, fine, they do. I'm not even saying that that's not the case. All right. But it's not like these people aren't killing each other when that's not the context, okay? And there's an argument to be made that that's in your interest to be, truth be told. I remember uh, when I didn't have internet access, I saw on TV a guy, a senator by the name of um, John Kennedy. I think he's from Louisiana, I want to say. He's really, if, you, if you're familiar with this guy, if you watch Fox News, you know who I'm talking about. He's very funny, really interesting guy. And every once in a while, he lets slip something that you're not supposed to say. And one day on Fox News, hang on a second. Like, why aren't you leveling this thing out? This should not be peaking. You should not allow that to happen. Thank you very much. Do that, okay? No, you're still going to do it. All right, anyway. He goes on Fox News, and during an interview one day, he says, look, here's what it is that we do in the Middle East. We play these countries off of one another. We keep them fighting with each other. That's, you know, in our best interest to do. That's American foreign policy. Now, there are those who would say that that's actually Israeli foreign policy. And I think that there's, you know, you can make a coherent argument that that's the case. I'm not going to deny it. But that's when you see them get together and they're like, okay, you know, ISIS, the Islamic State, right? What is it that they want? They want to build the caliphate. They want to unite the Muslim world and have the whole, and then, and then after the Muslim world is united, then, you know, and then, you you know, unite the rest of the world, which is to say, convert by the sword every infidel, you know, unless you pay the jizzy or whatever, you know. You could go pay your tax and, you know, let them take your sister or whatever. And if you think that that's a good idea, fantastic. I mean, you're you're all set. You don't have to worry about that. But, you know, if you want to, if you, if you're like, okay, the state of Israel is, you know, a subversive element, it harms the United States, fine. 
But there's nothing good going on in Palestine. And and if and if Palestine takes over the territory known as Israel and all the inhabitants of Israel are are displaced by that fact, you know, it's actually not axiomatic that good things follow from that. I think safe to say, all right? First of all, the the residents of Israel are are probably not going to be, you know, exterminated to the to the last child. They're probably going to go other places. You might want to think about the implications of that. And even aside from that, okay, so then the Palestinians get their land back because that's what we're always told by the left-wing fanatics is really the issue over there that, you know, these Palesti- these nice folks over in Palestine, they need their land back because they're very concerned about land. They do that in America too, you might have heard. Stolen land, land acknowledgments, all this nonsense when you have a bunch of college professors walk into a lecture hall and they turn around, they're like, okay, well, we acknowledge that we're standing on the land of, you know, King Smoking Pipe or whatever stupid Indian name they gave these people. And they want to basically do the same thing over there. They're like, look, these people are less civilized than you. They should have the the, the land. And then once they have the land, then... They'll have fewer impacts on the environment because they're savages, and we love that, okay? And if you think that that's good for you, you know, then go give your sister to them. 217-688-1433. like to be on the program, and the more you talk, the less I have to, so please do give us a call. Let's go check on a couple of things over here. Oh, I got, I've got, I think I've got my first Rumble Super Chat. Street Creature sends 50 bucks. I owe you, longtime fan. Well, thank you very much, Street Creature. Good, good for you. Thank you very much, my friend. Let's go over, look at our Odyssey friends. Uh, maybe next time says, hit the like or you're a, you're a, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? He says something that I don't say on Surreal Politiques. Hit the like button or you're a subversive element who engages in degenerate behavior. 217-688-1433 if you'd like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. Um, Urban Moving Systems 88 on Goyam TV. He says, uh, thanks for coming on Logos Revealed last week. Yeah, I was on uh, I was on a, another guy's show. I haven't posted this to my own website on my own um, email list yet. I've had a lot of stuff has been going on, actually. I went, I went, um, <clears throat> I still need to post. What was the other thing I did? So I, I, the other things that have not been posted to the websites that I should tell you about, you guys probably saw a lot of this. If you follow me on Telegram, you know everything. You know, If you guys aren't on Telegram, follow me on Telegram. Go, to, go follow Chris on Telegram. Like literally the name is follow Chris, okay? Telegram's my most used thing. They, don't, they haven't banned me. The only thing that happened is like whatever, my channel, you can't view it on an Apple device anymore. You can still view the Surreal Politics channel on an Apple device. But I posted years ago that Telegram is the new gab and, you know, I think that that's probably accurate. It's probably, it's pro- I don't know, what, I think Telegram is actually more used than gab at this point. But follow me on Telegram in any case. It, it, whether you're following Surreal Politics or whether you're following uh, Christopher Cantwell on Telegram, that's a good idea. Christopher Cantwell will get you more, but some of you guys use Apple devices because apparently you trust that corporation to give you absolutely no say in what you do with your phone. Uh, and if you get on the email list, that's a good idea too. But Telegram is like, I, you know, I don't send out an email all the time because 
you know, spam filters and you guys getting fed up with too much garbage in your inbox. I'm not going to, you know, send you an email every time I have a thought. Also, by the way, if you're on, if you have an email with Spectrum, Charter, um, Roadrunner, anything run by that company, that entire corporation has blocked my mail server. I'm trying to reach out to them. Um, but they actually don't make that very easy to do. So I'm working on that. I might have to reroute the mail, which is like a pain in the neck. Um, but anyway, so that's going on. But if you don't have one of those email addresses and you want to get on the email list, ChristopherCantwell.net slash subscribe is the better one to be on. You'll get more of the stuff that I do send out via email. But I have the SurrealPolitics.com slash newsletter is available as well. In any case, in one of those ways, you know, you'll find out when I do appearances other places. I was on Political Cesspool a couple weeks ago. Um, I think I did post Night Nation Review. What was the other one that I just went on that I'm thinking of? Anyway, I was on another one, but I just went on uh, a show, Logos Revealed, and he had a, I did a pretty good interview with that guy. We went on for a couple hours. And uh, that one hasn't been posted yet because... He doesn't post the replay right away. And then by the time he posted the replay, then I got a call from a guy by the name of Simon Roche, R-O-C-H-E. And Simon Roche is a guy, he's from South Africa and he's white. And, you know, if you know anything about the history of that place, it's a a pretty interesting history. We've had him on the Uncensored production a couple of times. And then he called me up. He had actually called me up a few days before. He said he was in Pennsylvania and he's like, hey, you know, I'm thinking about coming to New England. You live in New Hampshire, right? Is there a possibility that we could beat up? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to be in studio with you. You know, my studio is really not fit for guests, though. If you, Those of you who have seen the video already, I we did it in a hotel room, as I did with other guests. But I'm like, yeah, if you come here, you know, we'll get, you know, get your room. I'll come to the hotel room. We'll, we'll set up the equipment. We'll do an interview. He's like, great. And then... He doesn't, he calls me back. He's already in New Hampshire and he hasn't told me that he's coming and I haven't had a chance to prepare for this. And I'm like, okay, great. You know, let's, let's put it together. So on Friday on the uncensored production, I did an interview with Simon Roche, got started. Uh, we, well, we scheduled it early and then we got started a little late as per our plan to start. Um, but it was, it was pretty good. I, I think it was, it went, it went very well. Um, but, uh, somebody who's been very generous supporter of the show, a fellow calls himself Kekap. Um, he, uh, he, uh, sent a super chat and he's like, Hey, you know, I'd like if you guys would beat up and, uh, and have a longer conversation or discuss some other topics. I forget exactly what it was he said at the time. And I said, and I muted him. I, I, I asked our guest, I said, you know, do you want to do something else before you leave here? Cause you could be here for a couple of days. He's like, yeah, absolutely. So yesterday I went back to the hotel room. And I ended up, uh, I talked to him for over four hours. I talked to Simon Roche. And that conversation was great, really good. But we didn't do it live. We recorded it offline. So this creates for me something of an editing task and and some choices to make, right? You know, do you release the whole thing as one or do you release it as pieces and, you know, drag it out and tease people? Kind of a difficult decision I got to make, but I haven't really had time to think of it because got done with that came here had to do this show so still figuring it out but you know you stay on you stay on either with telegram or email 
Follow me everywhere. Like, share, subscribe, these sorts of things, and you'll be kept apprised of what's going on. 217-688-1433. If you would like to be on the program, and the more you talk, the less I have to, so please do give us a call. Caller, you are on Surreal Politics. What can I do for you today, friend? Hey, brother. I was initially calling to talk about jihadists potentially slipping through the southern border, but I'd like to change my question to why do you think Republican politicians love Israel so much they don't even have oil? I think they love Israel so much for the same reason Democrats love Israel so much because, you know, because because don't say because it's a democracy, please. Oh, well, it's because it's the only democracy in the Middle East, don't you know? That's the official story. And here on Surreal Politics, we wouldn't dare stray from the narrative. You know, look, if you, uh, you know, there's there are people in the United States who run for office. OK, and then there are people who finance those campaigns. And among the reasons I'm not saying this is the entirety of it, but among the reasons uh, that that one goes out of their way, at the very least, not to offend the Jewish people. Um, is because they are financing 50% fully of the Democrat Party and 25% of the Republican Party, okay? I'm, 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 sorry to, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I feel like they fund Democrats way more. And like all of these high-powered Jewish people, like Michael Bloomberg, for example, these guys go all in behind Democrats. Zuckerberg, I'm assuming he's Jewish, but Zuckerberg, I can go on and on with that. Well, the yeah. head of Disney... Well, look, if you look at the numbers, it's it's and this is the I'm quoting this number from I think it's the Jewish Telegraphic Agency. I have it bookmarked somewhere. I bring this article up all the time. OK, the Demo- the Democrats are fully 50 percent funded by by Jewish financiers and the Republicans fully 25 percent. OK. And so, like, you, you actually see that emerge in policy. It makes perfect sense that it comes out this way. But nobody wants to offend them, and anybody who wants to become president of the United States must prostrate themselves before the American-Israeli Public Affairs Committee. It's just that's the that's the that's the I, reality I, of your politics. I agree, but it seems like the Republicans, though, are the hardliners behind this. These guys are like super pro-Israel. And you have Democrats. Some of these people are sympathetic to the Palestinians. Um, you know, you never see a Republican like that. It, it just it's just so baffling to me because they don't have oil. I don't know why we're all in. I mean, I sympathize for the Israelis getting attacked, whatever. I'm not picking a side, but it's like, dude, shit's happening all over the world all the time. Why are I would, we is kids so listening to the show? Don't don't curse. People? What, brother? I said there's kids listening to the show. Don't curse. This is surreal politics. We curse on Fridays. Ah, my apologies. I'm a first-time listener. Okay. But I think oh, okay. Well, welcome to the show. This is this is surreal politics. I, you know, I don't. I, I, I assume everybody's been listening because I, I don't spend money on advertising anymore. I'm an idiot. Um. So yeah. So surreal politics. We, we keep it. Uh, we keep it profanity-free and. You know, fine. We're mentioning Jews today, but we try not to censure things on you know racial themes. Uh, on Mondays, and then on Fridays we do an uncensored production, I, and we go all out. So, so go ahead. Ah, Fridays, got you. No, it's just that. It just and look, I'm not anti-Jewish. I'm not anti anybody. I'm just saying it seems like Republicans are so all in and pro-Israel, and the big money Jewish dudes in America, and the dudes who I'm using air quotes control the media, control the banks, all that stuff. These guys, Jamie Dimon, 
uh, Louis Blankfeld, the dude from Goldman Sachs. I, I could go on and on. These are all Democrats. The the judge that's uh, Trump's New York trial. And Trump's like the most pro-Israel guy. He's the most pro-Israel politician I ever seen. And I, I'm not even super supportive of that. But it's like th- these Jew- the Jewish people in power are still coming at Trump. The, the dude who ran CNN, I forget his name. He just got removed for some sex scandal. Ugly dude. Uh, Jewish. And I'm not singling these people out, but it's just like, dude, I could just go on and on with these high-powered Jewish players, and they're not even supportive of the people who support Israel. Well, and what the you, what you, like the reason the, the reason the reason that is okay, and you know, if you if you if you're at all familiar, and I suspect you are, if you're if you're able to name them in this fashion, you probably have some ideas to their motives, you know. Actually, Israel's not their highest priority, right? So, like, opening up the borders is more interesting to Americans of Jewish ancestry than than the state of Israel, okay? And you see, I mean, you even see some of them get involved in some of these, you know, ostensibly anti-Israel things. You know, they don't like Netanyahu because he's right-wing or whatever, you know, these stupid things. So, like, w- yeah. what, what they are actually, you know— the 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 money is being spent not be not entirely to look out for the interests of Israel, but to you know spread degenerate filth. Okay, so like if you were to go and you know find out who's funding the LGBT t things, okay, you're going to find out the same people financing the Democrat Party, right? And so you Ooh. know the Republicans are like, hey, look, Jewish Americans, we love who's you. We the love LGBT stuff. I'm going to go ahead and guess it's the same people funding half the Democrat Party. Let's put it that way. And so, uh, okay. And so, like, dang, when, really? Well, I don't have the numbers in front of me. This wasn't the the theme of the show today. But you know, you, why would they care about that? Um, you you're gonna have to ask me about that on Friday, pal. For me to get into that would be dude. I'm definitely calling in on Friday, dude. Yeah, t- t- tune in. I'm hyped right now. T- tune in Friday if you're not on the mailing list. ChristopherCantwell.net/slash/subscribe. Um, if this is your first time listening to me, you know you'll you're you're in for a you're in for a journey, pal. <laughs> um, nice. Man. But in any case, so like. You know, the, the 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 people who are funding the Democrat Party are not funding the Democrat Party fundamentally because because of Israel. But but what happens is the Republicans, they they see that, OK, you know, these are the things that they're funding and I want to go and I want to obtain those resources. And I definitely don't want to make enemies of them, more importantly. Right. Because if you make enemies of Jewish power in the United States, you basically can't hold office. And so. You know, you have to show that yeah. you're, you, you know, when Joe Biden, when Joe Biden's talking about anti-transgender sentiment, he comes out and he says it's anti-Semitic. And anybody who's not familiar with anti-Semitism is like, what are you talking about, Joe Biden? What do Jews have to do with anti-Semitism? And then I'm like, who's Magnus Hirschfeld? And then we talk about it on Friday. But like the, the, the so like the, the Republicans are like, well, if I if I jump on board with all this other nonsense, then I'm not going to be able to I'm not going to be able to have the support of my base. And so what I'm going to do is I'm not going to jump on board with all that other nonsense, but I'll be like, oh, well, you know, there's a democracy in the Middle East and those Muslim savages are kind of a problem. And so, you know, I I'm all for the state of Israel. See, I'm not an anti-Semite. Jews send me money. Okay, is the is the short and simple version of what's going on, because 
you know, if you make enemies of them entirely, if you don't give them anything, then then what are they going to do? They're going to they're going to be a they're going to be a block against you. And then the 25 percent of the Republican Party that's coming from from Jewish interests is going to go to the Democrats. And, you know, uh, you know, there's an argument to be made that that would work out fine in the end. But but there's also an argument to be made that you're sending money to the other side. and You're earning powerful opposition. So that's the realpolitik, right? No, like, listen, I get that. They're playing both sides and smart and power to them. And the whole play that you're talking about, I see how that benefits American Jewish people. What I'm wondering is, why is Israel so tied into this through Republicans? I mean, Democrats care, don't get me wrong. All the American politicians cut for Israel, but I just don't get why. And I don't care, I don't get why Republicans are all in on it. And the most powerful American Jews are going after Trump, who is the most pro-Israeli. And he sounds genuine. Uh, I don't think he's doing it for the money. Um, So it's like what I I genuinely don't understand how Israel ties in. But I know that with these globalists, everything has a plan. So it is a piece in motion. I just don't. I just don't understand how and why it, it seems like the American Jews are self doing a self-inflicting wound by supporting anti-Israeli or at least not the most pro-Israeli politicians. Well, you know, the thing is, I think even in the case of like, say, say in the Democrat Party, you have people like Ilhan Omar uh, Rashida Tlaib and yeah. and um and it's what's her name Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and these people pay lip service to the Palestinians or whatever right but there's actually no okay. op- there's okay. no there's no actual opposition to the Jewish state there okay and so like you know if you're if you're getting what you want what the the Chinese have a the Chinese have a saying for this it's called big help with a little bad mouth okay and so like you know Nancy Pelosi. Um, you know, says, oh, China's a human rights abuser and then gives our country away to them. OK, it's the same. They do the same thing with with Israel. OK. And so, like, you know, some of the some of some of the DSA fanatics or like the people left of them are like, oh, the squad is a bunch of sellouts because, you know, they're not they're not helping Palestine. And and that's fundamentally true. They 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 adhere to the narrative of like, oh, the less civilized place is the is the better place because we're against civilization. But Fundamentally, they're not they're actually not going to do anything to stop it. And so as long as Israel gets their weapons and their their loan guarantees, they don't actually care if you say bad things about them. I mean, you know, basically you you had you had, you know, people who were sympathetic to Jewish interests running the Daily Stormer fundamentally. Okay, I don't know if you caught the opening monologue, if you're familiar with the backstory of this, but like the Daily Stormer. I know who Daily Stormer is. Okay, so like Nazi website, right? Yeah, it's it it and it once purported to be the most popular neo-Nazi website on the planet Earth per the Alexa ranks. Okay, and the reason that it was able to make that claim was because Weave, aka Andrew Allen Escher Orenheimer, it was the CTO of the 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 blog was manipulating the Alexa ranks in order to make the Daily Stormer look more popular than it was, which was driving journalists insane and aiding them in their mission to smear Donald Trump as a second coming of Adolf Hitler. Okay, so this is a subversive element that's literally the technology of it is run by a Jewish computer hacker residing in Ukraine, probably working for the SBU. And and that was something that the Democrats were doing 
in order to undermine Donald Trump in the lead up to 2016. And when that blew up in their faces, and instead of getting rid of Trump by calling him a racist, you ended up with a growing white nationalist movement and Donald Trump in the White House, they went completely off the wall. And they, you know, they made up this Charlottesville nonsense and the Russiagate hoax and, you know, and started indicting everybody, you know, whoever voted Republican. And all heck has broken loose since. They've been trying to get this this genie back in the bottle ever since. And it's completely, you know, it's completely out of control. And so, you know, that's the situation that we find ourselves in because they don't care if you say bad things about them. Okay, I think they're doing the same thing right now with the the Nick Fuentes kid. Okay, hello, Mexican child. You need to go lead the white supremacists to the to the to the Capitol building on January 6th so they can all be charged with insurrection. You know, go tell them that you're the optics king and you're going to tell them how to look good. And then you go on TV and say that you want a 16 year old wife. You know, these are the things that happen when basically subversive elements are trying to wreck your political movement is they'll subsidize, you know, people who don't have your best interests at heart. And they don't care if you criticize them. It's not criticism they're worried about. What they're worried about is people who don't protect their interests controlling the government. That's what they care about. That's the only thing they care about. The deep state. The deep state is the the deep. Well, what what I the the deep state is fundamentally. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, the the goal the the goal must be for 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 this particular interest group. Okay, and you know, the deep state is comprised of you know all political activities. Are we just talking about this interest group, or are we talking about the deep state's more than just the interest group, right? Well, here's the thing. So all political activity, the, the the only way political activity occurs is through the alignment of diverse interests okay and that's all the more the case in a in in a society like ours that's not ethnically homogenous okay so all political activity occurs as a consequence of you know overlapping interests and so it's impossible to dis- it's impossible to attribute a single motive to the state deep or otherwise you see what i'm saying it, the only way that yeah. the, the only way that any activity in the government can occur is if multiple interests support it. And so it accomplishes, you know, to varying extents, things that lots of different people want for whatever reason they want it, okay? And so sure. that's 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 the mechanics of government ultimately, and that's just realpolitik. It's so like, you know, there's interest A groups that- A consensus regardless of motive. There, there, are, there are interest groups that are Jewish that are fundamentally interested in the well-being of the state of Israel. And they are, very, they are one of the more powerful interests, and you can often attribute much of what happens in our politics to them, though. I think that some people get uh, go a little overboard with this, and they become, you know, Judeo-centrists, where they think that everything is Jewish, and, you know, it takes on this, you know, sort of paranoid character that I think is, right. you know, toxic. But- you know, they're a powerful interest group. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And and when you see something like what happened, you know, yesterday where there's like, oh, my God, you know, there's, you know, oh, we've been attacked by cavemen. And so now we've got to go turn the, you know, this side of the country into a translucent, you know, flat nothingness. Um, you know, every, 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 every lever, every mechanism is pulled at that point and, and it becomes very conspicuous. And so, you know, you know, Ron DeSantis comes out and he's like, Israel has a right to defend themselves. Oh, you know. It's like, well, no, you know, if they're if that's what they're doing, then of course they do. Everybody has a right to defend themselves. The question is, did they provoke the conflict? You know, and there's that of that. There's substantially greater diversity of opinion, say, you know, 
And so, but but they do these yeah, things. Yeah, that will just go know. back and forth forever. Yeah, exactly. You know, so like, well, that's, the, but you know, but this is the whole point. So like the same thing in Ukraine, okay? So the transgender Trotskyite war propagandist in Ukraine says that the 1990 war to one borders are sacred, uh, sacred and inviolable, okay? Well, like, you know... <laughs> Uh, there are people in Palestine who say, like, we have a historical claim, and the, and the Jews say that our, you know, oh, well, our historical claim goes back to the Old Testament, and everybody's just like, you know, well, I'm going to go back further in history than you, and it's like, well, you know, at some point, th- the answer is, I've got the gun, and I'll blow your face off, okay? Like, that's what it ultimately comes down to, you know, and everybody's trying yeah. to avoid putting it in those terms, gun. but that's what realpolitik is. When you get to, you know, you get to a certain point where you're like, well, I have the power to stop you. That's that's how things work. And and the only the only thing that they're doing is, you know, they're tracing these things back to, you know, various different, you know, points in time in order to justify their violence. And it's like, you know, some of these things have varying degrees of merit, say, you know, if you want to go and say that, like, OK, well, the Jews have a sacred claim to Israel. Well, then, you know, then let's go back to, you know, the, the, the Russian Empire before the Soviet Union then for the Ukraine thing. Right. But no, 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 no. The transgender Trotsky yeah, tells us that the, the 1991 line? borders are sacred and inviolable. You know, it's it's arbitrary. It's it, it, you decide which time you decide the time frame is legitimate based upon your interests, you know, and that's all. The, it's 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 really that straightforward. Yo, do, do you consider Crimea to be Russian or do you consider it to be occupied? Well, you know, look, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert. I'm not going to be an, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on Russian history, okay? But it seems to me that yeah. Crimea and and Mosta and Ukraine were were basically part of the Russian Empire prior to the Soviet Union, okay? And so uh, my understanding yeah. of that is then that like the Soviet Union was a a tragic, you know, circumstance of history. And if you're going to go back to, if you're going to go try to undo the disaster of the Soviet Union, like Vladimir Putin said it very well, which I thought was actually pretty funny. Me and Victor Boot really laughed our hats off about this in prison. When Vladimir Putin gives his speech in advance of the, or or upon the uh, the commencement of hostilities, say, he talks about in, in Ukraine, they took down a statue of Vladimir Lenin and, and they said, um, they said, oh, well, he, he's like, oh, they did this in the name of decommunization. Okay, why stop there? Right. And me and Victor just laughed so hard when we saw that. Just like, yeah, okay, fine. You wanna you're you're trying to undo this thing of the past, then like let's let's go undo the past. Let's go undo the Soviet Union and, and go back to the, 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 the borders that preceded the Soviet Union, which would have Ukraine you know, Ukraine is the word Ukraine means borderland or something to that effect in Russian. So Okay, you're the borderland yeah. of Russia. So you you know you border Poland or whatever. Fine, go ahead. Be the be the Russian border with Poland. You know that seems to be you know a reasonable thing to do. But you know you Poland's got only like sixty. The borders of Poland are only like eighty years old anyway. After well, World there you War go. II. So like everything is you know. <laughs> Everybody acts like these things are sacred and inviolable, yeah, and we all know that it's not. It's a bunch of nonsense. And so, like, what's you know, you know, what forces are aligning to create the outcome, and you know, in in what way can, are we capable of influencing it, and in what perception do we have of our interests therein? You know, that's that's fundamentally the the equation that everybody makes, right? And so, like. I don't think that it's in my interest for Victoria Newland to run around the world overthrowing elected governments. And so, you know, if uh, if, uh, you know, the people of Ukraine elect Viktor Yanukovych and he's like, F you, you know, European Union, I don't want the free trade deal. 
and then he gets violently overthrown by a bunch of fanatics here stateside. You know, I, go ahead, fix that, and then we'll worry about the Russian Empire later. But, like, you know, if, if we can't yeah. do that and Russia's going to go and be like, look, you know, I'm sick of you guys trying to expand NATO onto onto my front doorstep, so I'm going to go in there, kill everybody, and once everybody stops fighting, then they'll be Russians. That's fine with me. I remember uh, after the U.S. invaded Iraq in 2003, I remember from 2003 to, like, 2005 or six. There was a lot of suicide bombers in the country and all these resistance cells started popping up. They really didn't want us there. They really looked at us as occupiers. And in Crimea, there's no reports of that. There have been no reports of that, that there's these resistance groups attacking Russian military or anything. Um, you know, the, you know, the, the, the people, of, the people of Ukraine are largely pro-Russian, okay? Russia. So, like, the people of Ukraine are largely pro-Russia. And so, like, you know, when even Vladimir Zelensky, when he got elected, he ran on a platform of ending the conflict, okay? So, like, you know, but when he comes into power, you know, he's controlled by other people. And those and those people take, you know, they, they, they're like, listen, you know, you wouldn't, there wouldn't be a Zelensky government if we hadn't overthrown... <laughs> Uh, you know, Viktor Yanukovych, you're here because we put you here. You're going to do what you're told. And he's like, well, fine, I'm a criminal anyway. Just let me go stash my crypto with Sam Bankman Freed or whatever. You know, and I'm not privy to the nature of the conversation, but you get the idea, you know. Right, and so, yeah. like, the whole, you know, the whole thing is a scam. The people, the people of the people of Ukraine elected Viktor Yanukovych twice. OK, and twice that guy was overthrown. Then they elected Vladimir Zelensky to end the yeah. conflict. And then he ends up putting us in the brink of World War Three. So, you know, I don't think that the people who are like, rah, 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 you know, cheering on the Ukrainian, you know, side of the conflict, they're actually not, you know, they, they're act like they're supporting the people of Ukraine. Well, no, like the people of Ukraine have consistently voted against this. And this is being, you know, this is a subversion of their will by foreign interests who are basically trying to, you know, it's a globalist campaign to, you know, uh, abolish all borders. Okay. And, you know, there's like, you know, ethnocentric white groups who think that like Ukraine is the ethno state because they let these fanatics fly to Wolf's Angle or something, and like, well, no, Dude, fucking let them have. Oh, I'm sorry, brother. Yeah, I didn't mean that. Please, uh, um, I'm sorry, man. I'm gonna give you a super chat right now for that. Oh, I appreciate that. I know. just get so hyped. I understand. <laughs> I understand. You know, but like, you know, so this is what goes on in any case, and so you know, it's it's a bunch of subversives who basically they don't look. These people don't view the world as like. You know, they don't they don't they don't uh, they don't like the concept of national borders fundamentally. It's you know, they'll move them around to the extent that they're, you know, uh, that they can suit their interests. But, you know, they'll, they'll go and they'll stir up nationalist sentiment in a place like Ukraine. Everywhere else that there's a nationalist movement, they have to crush this out of existence and they send the intelligence agencies in there and they'll they'll murder people if they have to to get it done. But, you know, in Ukraine, oh, my God, nationalism is really sacred in Ukraine. And, you know, we'll fund guys who run around with a with a swastika because, you know, as long as they support the Jewish president or whatever. I mean, this is how lunatic these things get. And so, you know, these people just have to be stopped. There's no you know, there's no they can't be allowed to have proximity to power anymore. And, you know, in order to accomplish that, you know. You know, people have to be more strategic than them. And that's kind of, you know, problematic because they're cunning and crafty people. You know, they strategize. They don't mind deceiving people. And you've got a bunch of, you know, you've got you've got people who stand up against this who are like, yeah, I have noble intentions. And therefore, 
I say exactly what I'm going to do before I do it, and I and I and I accept situations where I lose, and I and I accept situations that put me in a position of weakness. And it's like, well, no, like as a matter of fact, you have to you have to not do that, and then that's the only way that you can advance the good because you need to be powerful. Thank you very much for the call, my friend. I appreciate I appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to your super chat. 217-688-1433. If you'd like to be on the program, and the more you talk, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. Robert the Genius, uh, $1 World Peace, uh, World Peace 2024. Thank you very much, my friend. So um, if you want to get on the phone lines, go ahead and do it now, because I'm going to go ahead, I'll read a story, you know, like what is even in the news? Like every all you can talk about is the stupid nonsense over there. It's like, oh, a bunch of cavemen went over and you know they shot a bunch of people or whatever. You know, fine. You know, you know. Welcome to Baltimore. Shut up. Who cares? <laughs> um. Yeah. Oh, oh. So here's a fun one. So they they're tr- yeah, of course like and they always connect the dots, right? So this is over. Um. This is over at the UK Independent. Ukraine-Russia war live. It's in Russia's interest to inflame war in the Middle East, says Zelensky. Oh my God! Like you can't, like you can't, like this is this is the intersectional left. Okay, like everything has to be connected. There's no two ways about it. It's like, oh well, you know, there's a conflict over there. We blame that on Russia and everything, 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 everything. And it's just, that's all that's in the news. And so I'm not even going to bother trying to, you know, drag this out much longer. Israelis rush back from the U.S. to join. Yeah, so, like, look at this. I'm, I'm going to show you my screen, as a matter of fact. Let's um, make sure that I don't accidentally do this again. We'll go. I don't want to do that again either. One second. I'll share my screen with you. Just, like, look at the, the Drudge Report. <laughs> Look at the Drudge Report and Revolver News, and it's completely insane. Yeah, okay. So here's Revolver News. Here's all of the headlines. Entire family of five, including three little ones, slaughtered by Hamas. Ron Paul, Hamas was created by Israel and the U.S. to counteract Yasser Arafat. Well, that's actually kind of interesting. I'll look at that. Um, Hamas threatens to execute hostages and broadcast it every time a bomb falls on Gaza. Photographer with missing daughter wife murdered. It might not be it. Feared that number of murdered will reach 1,000. That's definitely over there. Fear that number of murdered will reach 6 million. Just kidding. Uh, massacre over 100 bodies encumbered in a single village. Israelis rushed back from U.S. to join the fighting. Egypt intelligence officials says Israel ignored repeated warnings of something big. That's interesting. I'll look at that. Um, Trump accuses the White House of betraying Israel, of course. Total siege. Israel strikes targets in Gaza. No food, fuel, electricity, drinking. The entire front page, okay, of Revolver News is all this story. Drudge Report. All this story. Barbarism. Hamas beads Israel so- Israeli soldier in shock footage. Seize of Gaza. Food, water, electricity, power off. Top newspaper blames Netanyahu, yada, yada, yada. Day three, war on Israel. Hamas threat to execute hostages. Will show online. 900 killed. Shock becomes rage. So, like, you know, you're trying to do a radio show, and you're like, hey, you know, what's going on in the world? It's like, oh, well, this is, you know, you do your, you you do your, uh, you do your, um, you do your non-racist show 
on Mondays. And of course, it, this is what always happens. The, 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 the most ethnically sensitive topic that, that could possibly be conjured <laughs> always happens, you know, on Sunday. It's, it, it invariably occurs. And so we do what we can. We do what we can. Um, let me go back over here and stop doing that because I don't want to show you everything on my screen. That was dumb. 217-688-1433. If you'd like to be on the program, you're running out of time. I'll end the show. I'm going to check. I'll pull up one more story. And if you guys get to me before then, let me go read some super chats if there are any. You guys who are watching on the, uh, the other platforms. <clears throat> I do the entropy thing too. If you're watching, like, uh, if we're if you're watching or listening later, of course, ladies and gentlemen, um, you can you can go to uh, christophercantwell.net slash donate or givesendgo.com slash spm. I want to say thank you to Urban Moving Systems eighty eight. I think he tried to put my entropy link into the GTV chat, and that um, that uh, was auto moderated. It didn't want him posting a link. But givesendgo.com slash SPM. I got Cash App. It's uh, The cash tag is Edgy Chris. I got an Amazon wish list. You'll find all the links there. ChrisVacantwell.net slash donate. Uh, caller, you're on Surreal Politics. What can I do for your friend? Yeah, hello, this is Hatting. Hello, Hatting. Um, yeah, I, I heard you reacting to um, uh, what you understand broadly as leftism. Um, you know, I've, I've been commenting for, um, some time on Twitter. I've been making this observation that, uh, that the leftist ideology that leftists always insist on, uh, using to frame the, for example, the Palestinian issue actually harms the Palestinians, right? It Because basically what they're doing is they're putting their stink all over the Palestinian issue and driving everybody else away from it. And sometimes they, it's not just, it's not just indirectly that they drive people away from it. Uh, sometimes they, they will literally say, I mean, for example, Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, posed with some code pink people uh, a day or two ago. And um, the code pink uh, organization made a public statement saying, we repudiate Mar Marjorie Taylor Greed. You know, I, it's like, why, why, why in hell did you do that? You know, if are you trying to help the Palestinians or are you not? Do you want to make sure that no Republican has any sympathy for the Palestinians? Is that what you're trying to do? So, I mean, you you're seeing you're seeing the Palestinian cause as a leftist cause because that's the way it's been couched. You know, it's been soaked up into leftist ideology and portrayed that way. I, it's not how I see it. Well, I understand right? that. Um, I, I, I have a pretty good, you know, picture of why, why you how you see it, you know. Uh, and I mean, I, I imagine that in the context, you you'll you'll try to frame it differently. But you. I know that, I, let me put it this way, I shouldn't speak for you. I understand that a lot of people don't like the state of Israel, and, and it's an enemy of my enemy is my friend thing, all right? Now, yeah. that's fine, okay? I get I get that, 
that's a different phenomenon than the than the worship of the noble savage that that I get an, annoyed with. Okay, and so like I actually don't like. You know, what I went through with the other guy is like, okay, there's all these various different conflicts going on in the world for any number of different reasons. Wherein, like, you know, people are saying this border, that border, this time and time, this period of time, whatever. Like, all of that stuff is nonsense. It doesn't matter. What matters is, you know, who controls the, the property and how long they can, you know, keep other people away from it. Okay. And so, like, you know, that's a, that's a power dynamic and has nothing to do with history. The historical claims are just, you know, the, the deception that's, you know, perpetrated to accomplish the goal. And so, like, you know, the idea that the, the Jews have the claim to the land, the Palestinians claim to the land, like, this is all a bunch of nonsense. No, like, any nobody with power takes any of that nonsense seriously. And so, you know, it, it's a question of, it's a different question. And so, you know, tell me, you could tell me what you conceive it as, but the left-wing impulse that I'm talking about is one of the impulses that, favors the Palestinians, which is fundamentally, it's the noble savage. It's the, these are the less civilized people. You're the more civilized people. Therefore, they're better. Well, uh, yeah, there is, uh, there is this leftist tendency to always try to support the underdog, right? No, they don't try um, to support the underdog. They try to tear down civilization. It's fundamentally different. Well, uh, <clears throat> I guess you can see it that way, but, uh, you know, the Palestinian cause, it's not just about people versus people. A lot of people, a lot of Palestinians actually had their family's property taken away, you know, your orchards taken away, homes taken away. And they still do that. Uh, they still, they still get literally just kicked out of their houses and Jews come and move into their houses. I mean, this is outrageous what they do over there. Now, my position on this has always been my formal position. And I, I've had discussions with Muslims uh, on on pal talk in particular, you know, about this. I, and I say, look, uh, if you want if you want if you want Americans to um, support the Palestinian cause, you're you're not your best or, or or oppose Zionism. Your best argument is not going to be humanitarian because people who vote Republican do not care about humanitarian arguments. We don't care about humanitarian and leftists really screw this up. I there's a documentary called The Occupation of the American Mind, which is on the whole a very good documentary. But it has one segment in there where it, it compares the Palestinian cause to Black Lives Matter. <laughs> Can you imagine something more? I mean, that's that's that amounts to unintentional sabotage right there. I'm sure it's unintentional sabotage. But are are you so sure that it you is? Know? I mean, you know, if if you're, um, you know, who do you think is responsible for Black Lives Matter? It's not black people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, this this particular documentary was made by a, a Palestinian guy, uh, and it was narrated by Roger Waters. But the problem is, people outside of the United States kind of take at face value uh, the way things are portrayed in our media here, and also a lot of 
a lot of Arabs and you know Palestinian diaspora people soak up what is basically Jewish leftist ideology, right? And so they have, even though they're fighting Jews over there in, in uh, the state of Israel, they also have the way they do it has Jewish limitations and a Jewish color to it, you know, and it, it's really, I, I actually made that point a little bit, I think, in my recent article about Mahmoud Abbas, but, uh, you know, the Jews to some extent control both sides of that uh, uh, of that conflict by, you know, make by making the opposition to Zionism leftism, right? <laughs> it shouldn't right. be that. Shouldn't be that. Well, I get that, um, you know, but that's what that's the character that it takes on fundamentally, right? And so, like, you know, well, that's, that's what's been pushed. All right, I don't go along with it, and I I tell people don't do that. I understand that, you know. It seems to me um, that that's the, the this is the character that it takes on, but and 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 that's because you know it, it predisposes it there too, right? I mean, it's not you know they, they are predisposed to that sort of thing. You mean the Palestinians are predisposed toward violence? I I mean oh. that the 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 cause is predisposed to the. Um, to the leftist impulse, right? It, it it takes on that character of, you know, okay. You, I don't you, think no. I, I I don't think that the cause itself is that. I mean, I think the Palestinian cause is uh, sui generis. I don't I don't think it's like anything else. You get people that, uh, trying just sh- uh, shoehorn it into uh, you know some uh, neo Marxist ideology, anti colonialism. And uh, the Israelis are white colonists there. They make it into they make it a piece of anti-white rhetoric, which is exactly the wrong thing if they want to get maximum support for Palestinians in the USA. They're doing it exactly wrong. Well, you know, do you think and, that that's what they're trying to do? Because Jews are. What do you think that the, do you think that it's self-sabotage? It's self-sabotage because Jews dominate. Jews actually dominate the anti-Palestinian protests. I saw something. It was uh, what was it? Some queers for Palestine or some <laughs> crap like that. And the, the queers, you look at them. These are obviously Jews. They, you know, look like lesbians. You know, uh, and you know, th- th- and think about it. Are they really trying to help the Palestinians, or are they using the Palestinian cause to promote? their thing i mean that's the way it looks to me well they're jumping on board with this you know their 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 virtue signaling about their their care for the downtrodden right that's the idea look at how good i am i couldn't possibly be a monster hell-bent on the destruction of civilization i'm protecting these innocent people right I'm I'm standing up against the powerful i couldn't possibly be the elites that have my boot on your neck right yeah, you know what? That one of the great ironies is that the same propaganda that supports that Jewish state also keeps us, or uh, creates some inhibition, moral inhibition, against doing what we have to do to save our country. You 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 heard that uh, slogan? 
No human being is illegal. Yeah. I know you've heard that. Too many times. That's Ely Weasel. That's Ely Weasel who said that. Ely Weasel. All right. Now, <clears throat> Ely Weasel also was a big supporter of Zionist wars. He agitated for the USA to attack Syria in 2017. Or actually before that. Before that. But anyway, but yeah, he did. He actually, actually, while Obama was president, he agitated for the USA to uh, to attack Syria, and he uh, uh, he urged basically he said he said that the USA should issue an ultimatum, which became Obama's red line. Right? If you use chemical weapons, then we will have a war. But they didn't really use chemical weapons. It was all Israeli-sponsored false flag crap. Right? Right. You know, so but there's so much bad stuff going on there, and it's all tied in with stuff that affects us badly too. It is truly the enemy of my enemy over there, as far as I'm concerned. With the Palestinians, with the Syrians, formerly with Iraq, with Iran, all these people are the enemy of my enemy. Okay, I'm fine with enemy of my enemy, okay? You're smart enough to understand that. Remove the Jews from the region. Those people are still killing whoever's next door, right? You're going to have some of that, all right, because you have, you know, some of these Semitic people are prone to religious fanaticism, and you just can't run a modern state on that kind of a basis. Periodically, a bunch of them decide that they're going to try to establish a theocracy and you have to take some kind of severe measures to stop it, you know, but the state of Israel is over there actually funding those people. So, well, that's yeah, there's, there's that, that's certainly an element of what's going on over there, but you know, you have that element in, in those societies and it doesn't seem to be that remove the Jews from the equation and that that's going to be a modern, you know, you know, liberal democracy for want of a better term. That's a stupid line that they always play. But like, you know, whatever your preference to liberal democracy, it's not going to be that either. You know, it's they're going to do the, you know, the Islamic thing. And then there's going to be Shiite and Sunni and they're going to be like, OK, well, you know, you're a bunch of polytheists so we're going to come kill you. And, you know, this is this is a routine problem over there that. You know, it's not fundamentally. I, I don't believe that it's fundamentally Jewish in origin, and so like you know, these people are going to you know they 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 are what they are, and they're going to do what they do. And the problem that I've been expressing, I'm not sure everybody who's listening to the show right now fully understands this because it's largely taking place on Telegram. But like, you know, I've been railing against this like, you know, the people are like, oh well, the Palestinians are so great, and I'm like, well, no, like they're not, and. <laughs> They, they, you know, there's this impulse of people who are like against, you know, the they're against Israel and therefore, you know, they're they're. It's not just my enemy is my enemy. It's the people who the enemy of my enemy is the good guy is a different thing from the enemy of my enemy is my weapon, right? You know, I've I've used that well, phrasing before too. The matter this was used against me in a courtroom, believe it or not. So like, you know, I've had yeah, this. I, I've used this saying that like the enemy of my enemy may not be my friend, but he can sure as heck be my weapon. And so like, I do yeah, believe I, that the enemy of my yeah. enemy is my friend is a, is a silly fallacy, but you know, he could be your weapon. Like he can go hurt your enemies for you. And that's, you know, that's, there's a lot of utility to that, but it's a fundamentally different thing from actually being like your friend or the good guy. 
I do believe that most of the conflict in that region traces back to state of Israel, ultimately. All right. Uh, go back to um, the Iranian revolution, right? I can't prove this. I'm not sure if anybody has written a book arguing for it. But the way that the Iranian revolution happened in 1979 or 78, whenever it was, it was clearly orchestrated from outside, all right? Because you had factions working together that normally couldn't even talk to each other, all right? When when you see something like that happening, it means it's orchestrated from outside. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, I heard a strange sound there. And the reason why that happened, the Shah was overthrown because in 1975, he went to Cairo and made friends with Arabs, all right, because Egypt and Syria almost defeated the state of Israel in the 1973 war. And the Shah of Iran went over there and decided, you know, these Arabs are getting more competent. I'm going to have positive relations with them. The state of Israel is not going to be as important in the future as it has been. And uh, he started criticizing Jewish, or especially, you know, Israeli influence in U.S. media in the United States. There's a famous segment with Mike Wallace where the Shah of Iran criticizes Jewish influence in the USA. Um, and so the, the Shah was was taken down with this revolution orchestrated from outside all right and and they replaced with a regime of what was supposed to be a religious extremist regime they use religious extremism uh not just in iran but also we've seen in in syria they use people like that because these people are irreconcilable and it's easy to to rely on them to be a source of conflict you give them some resources and they'll get into a conflict with sane people right uh, but yeah, they got this. They got this uh, Iranian religion, uh, fundamentalist Shiite government established over there, and, and in short order went to war against Iraq, right? Which is which was also part of the plan, I'm sure. They knock down one domino, the next one falls. You know, in the long run, it didn't work out because you got this Shiite crescent now. You know, from Iran to Syria to Lebanon, but. Um, a lot, awful lot of the conflict. And they're trying to take out Syria now, of course, with the, with the Sunni extremists up there. But uh, an awful lot of this conflict really traces back to the state of Israel. And yeah. we're having a lot of trouble from it. Also, I, I, the Russian situation, it, Ukraine and Russia also traces back to the state of Israel because Putin got involved in Syria and, and said... He discouraged Europe from getting involved in Syria and, and NATO, and therefore Russia has to be taken out, right? Right. So there's so much crap going on in the world. It's all traceable back to the state of Israel. Uh, if Arabs occasionally fight among each other, which they're likely to do, um, if the average Arab has an IQ of 85, um, it's not as big a problem as all this other stuff that results from uh, manipulations by the state of Israel. Well, I don't doubt that. You know, I, I think that that's uh, that's I'll go so far as to say that that's obviously true. Um, I'm just you know, when I my complaint about it is, you know, I guess uh, largely ideological when I'm like, you know, people are 
you know, worshiping the noble savage. That gets on my nerves, but I know that you don't do that, Hanning, and I thank you very much for the call, my friend. Yeah, and I'm surprised if uh, uh, National Justice Party actually fell into that rut, uh, of that kind of leftist rut. But, uh, oh, well, I mean, we, need to, we need to think uh, instead of falling into easy ruts. Indeed, <clears throat> indeed. Thank you very much for the call, my friend. 217-688-1433, you like to be on the program. Moments remain... Let's see here. Let's see if I can find a story that's not about Israel to talk about. Um, no, it's a futile exercise. We'll do the we'll do the Ron Paul thing. So Ron Paul says that Hamas was created by Israel in the U.S. to counter Yasser Arafat, and this is written about over at the uh, pages of a a, a a publication I lose respect for by the day. Frankly, I'm done with Revolver News. Like I I I like this for like two or three weeks. And then, you know, they linked to something the other day. Have you ever seen the website Headline USA? Somebody brought this to my attention that, like, there's this website Headline USA, and they did this thing that they called the Fed Files, which was an absolute joke. Uh, you know, basically trying to make, um, you know, what was what's the how do I want to phrase this? They tried to make you know, white supremacy or whatever were the, you know, the, the, the alt-right say a, uh, a conjurer, a, a manufactured thing by the federal government of the United States. And they called this the fed files. You know what they did? They took a lawsuit filed by a guy. I know a fellow by the name of Bill White. And so Bill White filed this, you know, very lengthy lawsuit against the federal government. And he included um, this very lengthy affidavit of all these things that he knew and all these things that he inferred. And he makes, you know, some claims that are, you know, I would say, well, you know, he, he, he swears to things that he infers from other things, which is not really how an affidavit is supposed to work. Say, I, I like Bill White. He's a good guy and I wouldn't say anything bad about him, but you know, I'm not sure all his conclusions are supported by the facts, say. So Bill White's, you know, in prison. He, I met him in the communications management unit at the United States Penitentiary in Mount Marion, Illinois. And he's actually filed this affidavit several times. He's been sanctioned by courts. He's been in a lot of trouble with the courts for, for his antics in legal land. And Headline USA took this lawsuit by Bill White. And just reports on it as fact that like Bill White goes and accuses a bunch of people being rats and feds and headline USA is like, oh, well, they're rats and feds because Bill White said it. Okay. And then they talk to these people who are like, I'm not a rat. I'm not a fed. I don't know what you're talking about. And they're like, okay. So they're like, okay, this person said he's not a fed, but he's a fed because Bill White said it. Okay. And headline, it's a fake website is what I'm getting at. This is not, there's no journalistic standard being applied here. They go and they take a lawsuit filed years ago by a prisoner and uh, which was dismissed and the, and the filer was sanctioned and they report on this as fact. And then they talk to the other people who are denying the allegations in the lawsuit and they dismiss this as irrelevant to the point. And this is linked to as like a credible news source from Revolver. So I'm done with them. Drudge Report is like, I used to check the Drudge Report every day. Now I don't even want to look at it. It's like, it's, it's, it's like reading MSNBC. It's just obnoxious, you know, except that like, it's probably worse than reading MSNBC. I don't even know, like, what's the news site? Where do I go to get news now? I, you know, Fox fired everybody. 
and now they're like, oh, you know, let's go have some, let's go do some Tim Scott stuff, guys. <laughs> let's go talk to Chris Christie for a little while. Find out if Trump is bad. <laughs> I don't, you know, the news is nonsense. It gets gets worse, worse and worse and worse. And you didn't think it could, right? <laughs> But they always, they always manage. They always find a way. You know, you think things can't get any worse. Don't ever say that. Don't ever say that things can't get worse. You will be proven wrong, folks. It will happen. There's absolutely no question about it. So, and if you don't want things to get worse, you know, you got to finance good media, ladies and gentlemen. So you do that, you know, uh, some of you, thank you very much uh, to my friend Kekap. He says, uh, thanks for doing the extended talk chris and mr roche look forward to hearing the conversation uh thank you very much for suggesting it uh sir and for all of your support uh you're very generous thank you um if uh you'd like to be uh praised for your generosity the best way to do that is with the super chats i read them on here generally speaking i don't think it's a good idea for me to say so and so gave me money unless you do it in public fashion that way but you know you could give me more and more discreetly there's plenty of ways to do that i take the cryptocurrency you know, cryptocurrency is great. I love cryptocurrency. Uh, and uh, some of you have been very kind to me with the cryptocurrency in the past. I haven't seen my crypto uh, supporters in a while. I don't know if it's the markets to down or what. But uh, if you got uh, all the, I'll just read out my Monero public key now. I'm kidding. ChristopherCantwell.net slash donate. You'll find all the uh, crypto keys. Hey, uh, cash tag Edgy Chris. I bought Strike Payments. Uh, get the links there. GiveSendGo.com slash SPM. And, uh, and you can become a Surreal Politics member for 10 bucks a month. If you want to save 33% off for your first three months, use Agenda 33 because I'm a swell guy and I'll extend that to you. And uh, you're going to get uh, new benefits pretty soon. We're, gonna, we're bringing on other guys. We're doing other things. There's a lot going on. I've spread myself a little thin, unfortunately, but I, I started to bring on new help, okay? I got new people coming on. And they're helping out. You know what I should probably do before we get out of here? As a matter of fact, I'll show you this. Um, I would far prefer to have the money, ladies and gentlemen, because I, I can, like, pay bills with that. And I do need to pay some bills. Like, I really need to pay some bills. So send me the cash. But I also have the Amazon wish list thing over here. And I'll just go through a little bit of that with you. Look, my Amazon wish list. Look, look at this. Okay. This is all. This is. I'm not asking for, you know, a Rolex. Okay. This is a Rolls MS111. Mic switch, latching or momentary microphone mute switch. Now, what I'm going to do is I got to switch under my desk. It's actually a pedal. It's not a button, but I'm going to hit this thing when I'm talking. And then what happens is my sentence, then it cuts me out uh, because that's a that's what's called a mute switch. And you're going to hear when I release the thing with Simon Roche, you know, we didn't have those things because I don't have them for my mobile setup. I need them. And so there's two of them. They're $59 each on my uh, my Amazon wish list. And I got this thing here, this Inno Gear adjustable desk microphone stand. If you look at the video with me and Simon Roche, one of the, he's got like a, I got two of these boom arm things that clamp on, and uh, and uh, he had one of those because I was able to clamp his to the uh, like the TV stand. But the table in the hotel room, um, the way that the table was made, I couldn't clamp the, I couldn't clamp the 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 boom arm. Like this thing here, this where I have microphone here, those of you who are watching the video, <clears throat> I couldn't clamp that thing onto the table that we were using. So I'm like, oh, 
But I bought, I bought for myself, I bought the, the mic stand, and I'm like, okay, well, this will be fine. But my mic stand is straight up, which means that it doesn't come out, okay? And so this one, if you're, if you're watching the video, you can see it sits on the desk, and then it's got, like, the boom arm on the, on the mic stand so that I can put a microphone on a desk, and that would be pretty nice. And I got two of those on the Amazon wish list at $28.79 each. And then I got right below that uh, floor stand mic stands with the same – you know, arm on them. And there's two of them in one package for $48.99 on the recent thing with Simon Roche. He didn't have headphones. Okay. I've got the headphone splitter here in the studio, uh, you know, and dismantling my studio every time I got to go leave to do something is kind of messed up. So there's this Behringer Microamp HA 400 ultra compact four channel stereo headphone amplifier silver. It's twenty six ninety nine. Uh, and it's the price has dropped 23%. It was $35 when I first added it to the list. And so that'll allow me to hook up, you know, multiple sets of headphones to the mixer. I'll skip this thing with the USB drives for now. Headphones to, for the mobile setup. I, I also put on this thing, this Pile Live Gamer HDMI 4K Live uh, Record and Stream. So this is an HDMI input card for the computer. I bought a USB one of these things, but it actually doesn't work very well. I'll keep it. I might even just add that to the mobile setup. It's what I do a lot of time. I, I buy equipment that's often like the lower end stuff. I see, you know, how well it works and, you know, and if, and if it proves deficient, then I'll add that to the mobile setup because, you know, I don't need, I don't have to use that as often. But what I want to do is like, if you saw some of the guest interviews where I had, where I had the guest on remotely, I had a couple of problems. I tried not to make it obvious to you, but, you know, I had CPU usage was spiking so I'm doing the, the video streaming, the audio streaming, the auto recording, my web browsing. Like there's a lot of stuff going on on the computer. And I've, and I, I used to do, I used to do this show using three separate computers. I'd have my, my workstation where I bring up web pages and I play audio clips. And then I had the broadcast machine. Then I, a third machine would just record the podcast. And I've consolidated that down into one as a result of a very generous listener buying me a much nicer computer. But part of the problem that emerges here is people want video, okay? So, like, I used to do this thing. I thought of it as a radio show, and I was like, yeah, I'll play a video clip. I'll tell you what it is. You're going to hear the sound, but, like, you're just going to have a studio cam. I'm not going to do this stuff with you where I play the stuff on a screen. Well, you wanted me to share the screen, so I'm like, okay, fine. You know, so it would be helpful if I had that HDMI card. So what I'll do is I'll bring the guest on on another computer. That video output will come into this computer through the HDMI capture card, and then, and then you'll be able to have the stream that way. And I won't be having the spiking CPU usage from the, from the streaming app and the, and the guest app on the same computer. I have an RTX 3060 12 gigabyte, um, uh, uh, video card in this computer. I need to put a GPU in the computer that I'm talking about doing for the guests. I'd like to move that one to that computer and upgrade my video card here. There's a Zotac gaming, uh, uh, GeForce RTX 4060 Ti 16 gigabyte um, uh, GPU here for 449.99. Unfortunately, that was that was on sale, and now it's no longer on sale. But uh, you know, it'd be nice if I could get a new GPU. In any case, um, this is a mechanical keyboard, like it's a programmable. I can put macros into it and stuff like that. It's not the highest priority item. Um, there's lots of stuff here, all of this stuff, but the point that I mean to get at here, look at this, a bunch of cables, everything on the Amazon wish list. All I'm trying to accomplish, ladies and gentlemen, you know, I got like some clothes here. I got, you know, I look at what I do. 
When I buy T-shirts, what do I do? I buy a five-pack of uh, uh, T-shirts on Amazon for $39.95. That's what I ask you to buy for me, okay? I'm trying to replace my fat clothes. I'm not, uh, I'm not, what I mean to get at here is I devote my life to this program, and I think that uh, it would be a great idea if uh, you would uh, make this, uh, ooh, no, I don't want to do that. Okay, let me go back over here. I devote my life to this show, ladies and gentlemen, and if you uh, if you help me finance it, that's what you are helping to finance. I'm not trying to go out and, you know, do a bunch of other dumb crap, okay? So uh, let's do all of those things, and we'll be back Wednesday for the member show. We'll be back Friday for the Uncensored production. I'm going to go start editing my, uh, my Simon Roche interview, which is great. It's four hours long, more than four hours long. And uh, I really got the guy to open up. He doesn't usually do interviews more than 90 minutes. He told me more than once. He's like, I never do this. But, you know, I don't know what it, he said to me. Uh, I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or what, he says to me. I'm like, oh, well, that's a high honor. Thank you, sir. So I got Simon Roche to open up. We talked for a long time. We talked about a lot of different things. I'm looking forward to publishing that. ChristopherCantwell.net slash subscribe. Get on the email list. You'll know. And we'll be back Wednesday and Friday and then back here Monday, 930 Thank you very much for tuning in to Surreal Politics, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, you know, um, I should have I should have started playing the music before I, you know, before I went through all that, you know. So I like to talk our way out of here, but now I'm like, I'm out of steam. It's over. The show's done. We do this every Monday. Come back, 9.30. Uh, if you're listening on some of the platform at some other time, why don't you join us for the live program? You give me a call, 217-688-1433. You like to be on the program, and the more you thought, the less I have to. So please do give us a call, will you? 